0: you're sitting but that is actually um, the tabernacle or the tent of meeting so we've got the surrounding fence here and the, the tent of meeting in the middle there with the, the cloud of the glory of the Lord upon it and I don't know how much you know about New Testament times but very quickly we know the Israelite nation came out of Egypt persecuted in slavery fled from there Moses led them out across the Red Sea etc and when they'd done that, God said to Moses, I want you to send, set up a place of worship to me. And so therefore, it was the start of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, and the nations worshipped in that for many years until the temple that Solomon built was actually formed. So around the edges here, you can't see it all, was the 12 tribes of Israel, camped like, out like that. The structure itself was 150 feet long by 75 feet wide, And the tent in the middle there was 45 feet long by 15 feet wide and 15 feet feet wide and 15 feet high. So a vast, vast amount of work went into setting that up, basically. And all the curtains and the poles, etc., it was done so extravagantly by God. And tabernacle means dwelling place in Hebrew. And so that's where uh, the nation went to meet with their God. And later, the whole design of Solomon's temple and Herod's temple was based on the actual design and layout of the tent of meetings that was formally set up in the desert a year after escape from Egypt. And it's nothing like north, if you've ever been to north. Anybody been to north? This looks fairly civilized and laid out. I don't see much mud there on the ground, um, I don't know about blue skies and things like that. There's a bit of smoke coming out over there. That's probably when Ray was doing his barbecue last year, offering up his burnt offerings on his barbecue. So there's a bit of smoke around. Um, That's the only similarity I can see there with North. And I was amazed at uh, Matt Chernick's DVD last week. Matt Chernick used to be a member of this church, and he does the DVDs for North now. And he managed to to picture the whole of the campsite without showing the sky or the ground, which I thought was a real feat, because on the ground was just mud everywhere. In the sky was pretty much grey. But anyway, welcome. I hope you're all coming to North this year. It'll be great to see you. it be lovely. Okay, um, slide two, Dave, if we could please. Okay, now this is sort of focusing in a little bit more. I appreciate they are plastic cows and people. You know, we'll have to just oversee that a little bit. So here's the east gate at this end here. So this is where uh, we brought the. you brought, as a family, you brought your sacrifice in here. You handed it over to one of the priests who then, if you're a bit squeamish, did actually kill your animal um, on the tables here. And then you've got the altar there. Um, but there was a lot about there. There's a lot of precision in here, in, in God's instruction. And just reading from Exodus 24, verses 1 to 4. Um, and this is the sort of precision God was dealing with here. It says, make a tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, with cherubim worked into them by a skilled craftsman. All the curtains are to be in the same size, 28 cubits or 42 feet long and four cubits wide or six feet wide. Join the five curtains together and do the same for the other five. Make loops of blue along the edge of the curtain and in one set and do the same with the end set of the other curtains. So it's all about precision in, in taking this apart, putting it up together. And as you well know, the, the Israelite nation was on a move across the desert. So they used to take this down and put it back up and the amount of work that went in all about that. And then we get to Exodus 36, 8 to 17, and it's all about the curtains. And the curtains is a real big feature of what this was all about. The curtains in that, t- that tent meeting were magnificently made. They had gold inlaid in them. They were thick. They could have been 45, 50 feet long, 15 feet high. They're magnificent. And it says in Scripture that it took 300 priests to carry the curtains. So it shows you the sort of the extent they went to. Now, these curtains were beautiful. They're not like the curtains that you and I keep up in our loft. And I want to perhaps take you on a journey into our loft at the moment. And if I go up the stairs into the loft, we have two bags of curtains. There's the curtains that we want to never lose sight of because they're the real pucker ones that we bought and spent a lot of money on. And then at the back of the loft there, in another black bag, there's like these bag of curtains you can't wait to get rid of. And the day comes along when a member of the family or friend says, we're getting married, and we're setting up a house. You think, this is the time to get rid of those curtains. And so you go back up in the loft and you walk past the first bag of curtains and you walk up to the bag of curtains in the corner and you pick it up and you thought, right, I can get rid of them now. And then you help the person move in, as we normally do, don't you? you move in and we'll say, oh, we'll put the curtains up in your bedroom for tonight, absolutely no problem at all. Unbeknowing to the poor couple that go to bed that night, they go in the bed and they turn off the light and these curtains are the most vivacious colours and they glow in the dark and it's like they're made from in Chernobyl and they glow like that. And, and, and actually... Uh, the next time you have a good night's sleep, yeah, yeah, we slept with sunglasses on or whatever. And then that couple can't wait to get rid of those curtains, so they do the same thing. They put them in a black sack, they put them up in the loft, waiting again for unsuspecting people to come and move. Now, I don't know if there's anybody in my family that's about to move, but I've got a bag of curtains ready for, oh, you'll, you'll be moving soon, will you? That's fine. I've got a bag of curtains all sorted out for you, no problem at all. But those curtains in the loft, nothing like these. They have a lot of significance, the curtains in this particular thing. So what did the relationship between God and his chosen people at that time look like? Well, it was all about legalism. It was all about rules. It was all about structure. It was all about hierarchy. And it was all about sacrifice. There was a sacrifice made, an atonement or reconciliation between God and man. So you brought your sacrifice to the east gate. You handed it over to the priests inside. The priest came out and took the animal back inside. And you weren't allowed inside that gate because if you passed inside that courtyard area, You would either be killed or stoned to death. There was no access to God beyond that gate. We were not deemed worthy enough to do that. There was no access whatsoever for an ordinary person like you and I to walk inside that courtyard. Only the priests and the Levites were allowed to minister to God on the other side of that gate. And they would place your sacrifice on the altar and offer it up to God as a sweet fragrance. These priests could also go inside the tent there. Um, and this was the tabernacle itself and it was divided into two parts and again that was separated by a curtain in the middle and the priests were only allowed inside the first half of the tent and they ministered to God by taking care of three pieces of furniture that were found there the lampstand, the the table holding the loaves of bread and the incense altar but they weren't allowed outside, beyond that curtain into the room called the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was held and the Ark of the Covenant if you know your source scripture was the Was the the vessel or the container that contained the two tablets of the commandments of God. If the priests had passed beyond that curtain, they they themselves either died or they were stoned or died by God's hands. You and I could not approach beyond that curtain either. We were not worthy enough. There was no access to us either. So Dave, next one, please. Okay, so inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenants containing the two tablets of stone. Fantastic if you read in Scriptures and Exodus how that was made out of acacia woods and how those gold cherubim were put on the top. I mean, it's just a masterpiece in craftsmanship just in itself. And no one could touch that ark. You know, remember the bit where a priest tried to steady it as David was carrying it across and they died by just touching the side of it and hence the poles for carrying etc. And that's where the holy that was put in the Holy of Holies. And the curtain... Uh, that, that separated this from the second part of the tenter meeting was called either the shielding curtain or sometimes known as the veil. And only one person was allowed to go into this part of the room here, and that was the high priest. And he only once a year to offer a special sacrifice for the people's sins. But even he, the high priest, was not allowed to look upon the things of God there. The Ark of the Covenant, again, was covered by another veil. Then Exodus 4034 to 38 says this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the God and the glory of of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle. So in all the travels, the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until the day it did lift. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of the house of Israel during all their travels, So the Israel nation knew when God was around because either the, the camp at the top of this was covered by this cloud or at night it was covered by a fire in the cloud. So they knew that God's presence was there. So as the high priest entered the room, it was filled with smoke. It must have been a fearful experience. And although you won't see it in scripture, many historians would say that actually the high priest, when he entered, would, would actually wear a cloak with bells around the bottom. And the reason for doing that, basically, he'd have a bell around the bottom of the cloak and actually he would have a scarlet rope attached to his legs. So, as he went in the room, if the bells ever stopped tinkling, those outside were fairly certain that his sins had made him unacceptable to God and his dead body could be pulled from the presence of God without them entering and bringing death upon themselves. So it was a hugely serious thing, that high priest going in and offering up sacrifice on behalf of the people of God. And he must have been in trepidation going in there thinking, Am I right before God today? I could die in doing that. So even the high priest could not approach God openly and without fear. You and I could certainly not approach. We just weren't worthy enough. There was a separation from God from his people. And then the writer of the Hebrews in the, in the New Testament, he puts the point as such. Before Jesus died, you could not approach God. Your sins would have kept you separate from God. You might, know, you might have known God loved you, but you would never feel close to him never totally at ease in his presence. Legalism, rules, overbearing structure, hierarchy and cost kept kept us separate. Was that the type of relationship God intended for his people, I wonder? I think the type of relationship God intended for his people was very much the same as we see in Genesis with Adam and Eve. God walking with them, talking with them, sharing his life with them. That wonderful thing that wasn't cluttered by anything else. It was just Adam and Eve and God walking in his wonderful garden. That's the type of relationship God wanted for us. But then the sin of man came in and it just blew that basically. But God's a God of restoration and everything changed when Jesus died on the cross. In Matthew twenty seven, in Mark fifteen, thirty eight, in Luke twenty three, forty five. They all tell us when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the earth shook and the rocks split so dave so that temple in the curtain was 60 feet high impossible for a man to split that curtain from top to bottom knowing how heavy that was and how thick that was that was a movement of god to split that curtain and again that the curtain in the temple had exactly the same function as it did in the tent of meetings It separated the people from the priests and from the presence of God. And in John 19, verse 30, very famous words, Jesus cried out, it is finished. So what was finished? Why was this curtain, the symbol of our separation from God, split from top to bottom upon Christ's death? What was finished? Well, Jesus' life was finished. That's a very practical outworking of that scripture, I guess. Also finished with his work on earth, that was finished. he came come and died in our place. he defeated death and hell, that was finished. Because when Jesus died, he broke the barrier down that stood between God and us. And Hebrews tells us that we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus through the new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, Hebrews 10, 19 to 20. When Jesus died on the cross, the promise of God declared in Jeremiah 31 and quoted here in Hebrews became a reality for us. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. In other words, in Jesus' death, your sins and my sins were removed. Forgiven, they ceased to exist. The guilt that was kept us away from God was wiped clean. So therefore, can we walk in the good of that? What's our perspective Versus God's perspective. Isaiah 64.6 says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. (laughs) Here's my filthy rags. And then on the other side of it, again in Isaiah 61.10, it says here, I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me with a robe of righteousness. So let's think about some of the things that we have to go through in our lives. Okay, if I'm wearing my filthy rags, and sometimes we look at ourselves and we actually are still walking around in those filthy rags that before we knew Jesus, we might think of ourselves as useless. But my robe of righteousness, the way Jesus sees me, would say, I am able, Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And again over here, I might be sitting there thinking, I have a low self-esteem. My robe of righteousness, the way Jesus sees me, says, I'm a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Maybe you think the things you've done are unforgivable. My robe says to me, Jesus' opinion of me says, anyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness. You might be thinking, actually, I've got nothing to add. I'm fairly worthless. Jesus' opinion of me is he chose me before the creation of the world. Maybe you just think you're foolish, you've got nothing to give really. That's what your rags would say, that's what, that's what the enemy would like you to believe. Jesus would like you to believe that you're discerning, you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or maybe you live in fear, just afraid of things in life. But God says to me, Peace I leave you, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. When you put your faith in Jesus, God the judge hands down a verdict that you are righteous. You have a robe of righteousness on. He transfers the perfect sinless record of Jesus to you. And this is called justification. You are justified and it's just if I'd never sinned. That's the way he sees us. This is amazing grace at its most amazing. In the moment you first believe your past sin didn't cease to exist, You hadn't done any good work that could somehow make up for your disobedience. Yet God completely and totally forgave you. He not only wiped the record of your sin away, he credited the righteousness of his son to you. In an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, there was no afterthought. No, let's see how this pans out. He did it in an instant. The charges have been laid against us. We are sinners and deserve death. We have been given the chance to defend ourselves, but there is nothing to say. We are totally guilty. And Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. Every one of us has sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Now, Satan, who is in opposition to us, grows excited knowing that we are guilty. But before the judge passes sentence, an advocate or someone who intercedes on behalf of another one comes forward and tells that judge that he has enough righteousness to take care of your crime. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. We must walk in the good of our inheritance. So what I believe God is saying today for maybe one or two, maybe more people here is that these filthy rags, these things that sometimes we carry around with us, sometimes it looks like this. Here's our robe of righteousness. And sometimes the rags lay on top of them. And we can see some of the righteousness in God's life and how it should actually, but sometimes these things and unforgiveness and low self-esteem they sometimes come to the fore in our lives. But I believe God's perspective for us here today is the other way round. This coat of filthy rags, which some of us carry around, should be covered It like that. So how much of the the rags can we see now? Nothing at all. And that's what God would say to us this morning. That's the way he sees us. That's the way we should walk. That's in our inheritance. Actually, that robe of righteousness that he died in our place for should cover every sin and everything that we go through, basically. So, it is finished. But we have to walk in the good of that. How do you see your relationship with God the Father this morning? Have you a relationship with God? Me, myself, I never met my father until he was 70 years old. It was a bit of a tragic upbringing, really, in the respect that he walked out on the family when I was about two years old, and I never saw him until he was 70. On his 70th birthday, I turned up. And I wonder what would have be been the situation if I'd actually gone to find him, but out of respect for my mother, who said he didn't want anything to do with us, and it would upset her if I went to find him. I respected her wishes. But I wonder if I'd gone to find him, if I'd had access to him early in my life, would anything have changed? And sometimes i look back and I think, what if? And I wonder if God's saying to you this morning, what if? What if if, if that robe of righteousness hasn't cleaned, cleansed all my sins? What if? Do you sometimes see yourselves as useless? You have a low self-esteem. Maybe the things you've done are unforgivable in your, in your sight. Maybe you're worthless, foolish, or you feel afraid. And this morning, I think there's possibly two people, two groups of people sitting in here. And the first group here maybe aren't Christians yet. Maybe you've been on a thing called a just-looking course. It's been taken over by an alpha course, just-looking course. And maybe you're looking in the kingdom like this. Maybe you're looking around the curtain and you're thinking, I wonder if this Christian walk is for me. I wonder if this is for me. not quite sure, but I'm still looking in. I think God will say to you today, you need to make a bold step. Maybe even today you need to make a bold step. And then there's others of us in the room today who know that the curtain has been ripped into, if this was the temple curtain now, it's been ripped right down the centre. And What does that mean for us as a people of God? It means free access into all of his promises. But yet somehow we manage to disqualify ourselves by putting on that, 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 that those rags and we think actually I'm not good enough to walk through there. And we're maybe tentatively looking through this curtain now thinking I've got access to God but I'm not worthy enough to walk through there. I've done some things that God will never forgive me for. And he, actually what he's saying, seated on the throne on the other side, is he's saying come into my presence will you come into my presence this morning will you come and sit at my feet so that I can have a communion with you I can talk to you I can have a relationship with you so I wonder if the band could come back up please and I believe God would say this morning that in his presence there's a fullness of joy and I think that applies to at least two people here this morning and you're thinking I'd love to go into God's presence but actually When I start to to walk towards God, these things that are in the back of my mind just keep reoccurring and I, I somehow disqualify myself. And I'd love to pray for people this morning if you feel that some of those things we put up on the wall apply to you and you think, actually, what I'd love to do this morning is to actually, to understand that this covers everything this morning. Everything that you've ever walked through in your life is covered by this, by God's death on the cross and the covering with these rags basically. So your filthy deeds and my filthy deeds are completely covered and when God looks at you he sees Jesus. So we're going to sing a song now. Adam's going to lead us. If you sit in there feeling actually I so long to have that presence of God back in my life. I so want to walk into his throne room this morning without thinking what's going to hold you back and paul says in the scripture forgetting what is behind i push on towards the goal and maybe you've been hindered by things in your life which are holding you back we'd love to pray for you this morning so the way that works is adam's going to play a song for us um, if you'd like prayer for anything we've talked about this morning then please come down to the front. we'll get some guys from the, guys and girls from the church to pray for you But please don't leave here again thinking, actually, you're going to walk out here with filthy rags on because God wants to give you a robe of righteousness this morning. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.